Okay, welcome to the November show of the Brighton Business Show here on Radio Reverb. How is it November? Sorry, what's happened? Unbelievable. <laughs> I feel like someone like switched on autumn and then <laughs> since then time's just been running. It's crazy. 100%. Did we have summer? Did that happen? I don't think we had. Oh, we had two weeks in September, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. Actually, October wasn't too bad, strangely. Was we it? did have the old weird... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sunny day. I've still been swimming in the sea. Have you? I have, I have. Oh, quite I'm so impressed. All the way through um, October and now uh, in November. Do you have a wetsuit? I don't wear a wetsuit at the moment. I've got one. I don't wear one at the moment. No. Do you wear, cause some of our connected people, they've become sea swimming buddies yeah. and they have like the shoes and then slowly the gloves come on and then yeah. as it gets colder, the woolly hats come on yeah, yeah, yeah. and then the wetsuits come. It's like kind of phasing in. Well, this, this is my first year of really embracing it. I'm doing the whole cold showers and everything so i feel like i've really acclimatized a little bit that's the plan anyway I, when we talk on the january show we'll go yeah not so much where i'll let you know how that goes yeah we'll be following you we'll be following me <laughs> sam's still going in his pants but anyway there we go and how was your october what happened it was okay yeah look been been good been really good actually more episodes of the podcast we had some amazing response got some fantastic new sponsors on board with rubik's vt um as well as river Val and nostos and little jasmine so yeah absolutely buzzing obviously the fabulous plus x where we called it so um that's really that's been amazing with the support there and just had some great feedback on some of the episodes which has been really really exciting so it's exciting to see where different hats is going and starting to starting to develop so i'm excited about that um yeah it's been good what about you well, um, we just had the wonderful Russell Martin on our Connected Brighton podcast. I saw that. <laughs> Very jealous. Oh. How, how was that? That man, honestly, I swear, I want him to read me a bedtime story like every night because <laughs> he's just got the most beautiful voice. But incredible. I don't know a lot about football and I didn't pretend to know anything about football. I think after I tried to when we interviewed Kerry Mayo and some friends contacted me afterwards and they were like, wow, you sounded really bored during that. <laughs> and I was like, I wasn't bored. I just didn't understand it. Whereas with Russ, he really talked about kind of being a leader and a coach and what it meant to be part of a team and being yeah. true to yourself. Honestly, so, so inspired by that guy. And the Russell Martin Foundation and what that does for the community just really didn't have a clue yeah, yeah. just what an impact he's had in, on professional sport, but also Brighton. Yeah. It was wicked. Yeah, he's in, I, I do know the Russell Martin Foundation quite well. I know Alan Saunders, who, who works there. Um, we've done a couple of bits with him, but just a phenomenal charity. And he is, he's an incredible individual. Um, I was very jealous when I saw that come up. Yes. <laughs> need to tell ta- you up about that one. Well, he's going on Gary, uh, the wonderful Gary Peters, Peters, who's also started his podcast, which yeah, I know yeah, you guys are collaborating. Yeah, yeah. He, he's also getting Russell for that yeah, one yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, oh, you, like, you two will get on great. I'm really happy to um, try and introduce you. He was, yeah. he was brilliant. And then we've also been having fun running around the city with Connected Brighton doing fun stuff, which has just been amazing. We did a tasting menu in a new restaurant that's not opened yet, so we were the first people through the door. Wow. It was very cool. We did some gin tasting. Obviously, Halloween. I love Halloween. Any excuse to dress up so um, <laughs> November sees us doing like spooky karaoke we've got murder mystery tours all sorts it's just such an exciting time I love your events every time I see them guys so much they just look so much fun and there's so and the people that get there and it, it, always different types of events as well which I think I love about you're so unique I think I've overcooked it for November because I'm too excited. There's too much fun <laughs> things to do. Like we're going to the fireworks at Sussex uh, Cricket Ground. Amazing. and Yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on. So, yeah, make sure you check it out if you come and hang out with us. Awesome. But today we've got a very different spin. We have. We have. We're talking. Can I, can I do this? Yes. We are on radio. <laughs> we're talking charity, mate. 
Yeah, I'm desperate to do that. <laughs> like, finally. I know. We finally. had a good reason. We are talking about charity today, and it's so interesting. It's such an interesting subject. I know in Brighton we really love our local charities, and there's so much support for very small charities amongst the city that do amazing things. And today we're going to talk to two charity powerhouses that are both very close to our hearts. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I can't, I can't wait to have them on. And, um, and just, I think, for me, for me, working with charities a lot, as I've done over the years within business, so much of it is that they need a voice and need some exposure. And hopefully, by having this platform and inviting them on, we can, we can aid that a little bit so and share their stories and, and get them out there and hopefully get them some support which would be amazing absolutely and also just from you know everyone that's listening that runs a business you know they are businesses and I think we kind of forget that about a charity that it's not just about you know fundraising there's a whole machine that has to happen yeah. behind so I'm really interested to talk to them about business and then for everyone that doesn't run a business that's listening like how you can get involved and support local charities absolutely shall we introduce our, our amazing guests let's do it Cool. So we have got the incredible Donna Holland from Rockin' Horse Children's Charity, which is very close to my heart, of course. And, and we have the wonderful April Baker from Together Co., which is very close to my heart. So let's get the girls on. Amazing. Welcome to the show, April and Donna. Hi. Hello. Lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for coming in and seeing us. We're very excited about this, and we've just been well, having a lovely talk before we've gone on air, which we've had to stop to make sure we say it on air. There's too much <laughs> to cover. But where we want to start is, Donna, can you just tell our audience a little bit about the charity that you're representing? Certainly. So I'm Donna Holland. I'm the CEO of Rocking Horse Children's Charity. So we're Sussex and Brighton's children's hospital charity. We support the Royal Alexandra Children's Hospital and the Trevor Man Baby Unit here in Brighton. But we also support all of the children's wards and baby units all over over Sussex and we do that in lots of different ways we buy specialist equipment usually it's specially adapted for children so it might be smaller faster quieter for children we also decorate the hospitals and provide toys so that the environments and spaces that children are in when they're in hospital are more comfortable more welcoming we also pay for things like uh, research into pediatric medicine and push the boundaries of what Sussex can provide for sick children and we also pay for additional staff in hospitals so that children get the best possible care whilst they're in hospital. It's an incredible network you've got like this kind of the ecosystem around helping and protecting children and families I know from conversations we've had before about looking at the different projects that that you want to invest in that will have the biggest impact or thinking about the customer customer the (laughs) experience of the child or the family as they're going in and out of the hospital and what rocking horse can do to make that more palatable for people and and easier when you're in such an emotional and vulnerable place yeah it's there's a huge breadth of the work that we do actually I think it's and that's one of the things that is so incredible about the charity is we we're there when babies can't breathe, when children have cancer, when teenagers are facing suicide. And we do all of that stuff and we do, we do it so, with so much care and love and we do it alongside the doctors and nurses. They're the ones that are there you know, when it gets really serious and really specialist and we're the ones who provide all the additional stuff that they might need to make sure that kids get the best possible care. And it's such a personal experience, yeah, right? Uh, absolutely. I mean, look, uh, many people might well know that uh, I, I obviously, the love I have for Rockin' Awesome, very, very honoured to sit on, on the board, obviously, with you as a trustee now. But I think the one thing that always gets me and where what you say so brilliantly, Donna, every time you articulate is actually that all the 
the different scopes of what, what, how you look after children. So from the bumps and the scrapes right up until, like you say, the life-saving operations. And I've been, I guess, with my my daughter now, Lucy, who we, we've changed from Luca is to Lucy, and um, she very much has uh, had both ends of that scale. So life-saving operation right at the start, right up until breaking her arm last year um, and getting there but you go in there and what blows me away every time is that you look around and there's rocking horse stickers on things and the care is just unbelievable from the doctors and everything there but rocking horse provide that environment and able to do that just to make everything better like even from you wheel, wheeling her through on the bed and you see like monkeys on the wall and they just and you, just anything to distract them and put them in it's just it blows my mind and it is an absolutely incredible incredible charity um, and helps so many people it's, it's amazing so, sorry that's me just chucking that no, in there throw it in, as throw I it do in, throw it in. and then we also have the wonderful April here can you tell us a little bit about your charity yeah, of course. So, um, so to say again, it's April Baker. I'm the CEO of Together Co. So, Together Co. is Brighton and Hove's loneliness charity, and it's been running across Brighton and Hove for just over 20 years. And it's all about creating connections across our city um, so, because, unfortunately, we have over 22,000 people in our city that are reporting to always or often feel lonely. So Together Co runs uh, a few different models. Uh, so we've got social prescribing, which people often go, what is social prescribing? So I reverse it and say prescribing the social oh, for like people. <laughs> Probably explains it better. Um, so Together Co was one of the early adopters of this model in about 2010, 2011, um, when the NHS started to really look at, actually, we've got our physical health, our mental health, but what about, and this is what we talk about, our social health. So the idea with social prescribing is we're based in GP practices, in job centres, you can self-refer across the city, is to look at what what's going on for somebody outside of the physical health situation as well get them connected to places connected to people uh, looking at community activities so together co operates the citywide program for social prescribing and a couple of the local primary care network gp practices as well together co also uh, since uh, it started has been running befriending across the city so it looks uh, in the different neighborhoods to match neighbors together so originally it was about the good neighborhood scheme you know just people caring for each other looking out for each other and it's continued for over 20 years so on average it's about 400 500 people a year are matched um, and we're really lucky to have uh, over 500 volunteers a year that work to support us to connect in many different ways we also have new programs as well um so we have a connector project which is kind of small interventions for people so they may not want uh, more of the longer term friendship but they just need support just to go to the gym just to go and look around an activity space so we also have volunteers that will go and support someone as well because we really really believe that everybody should have somebody and yeah I'm always blown away by just kind of the stories that you hear when people have been connected together and that person that has been matched with someone didn't have anyone and hadn't spoken to anyone in weeks and I'm just like how in a city of over 300,000 people do we have that happening um, you know, we look at Brighton and Hove, oh, it's so inclusive and vibrant and brilliant. But actually, we've got people who are really struggling and they're struggling on their own. 
Um, a lot of what we do as Work Together Co. is about raising awareness around loneliness. Uh, loneliness is really, really, really detrimental to our mental health, to our physical health. Uh, time and time again, it's been shown through research as well. That's why the UK has uh, one of the first ministers of loneliness in the world. Mm. Yeah. itself is incredible, Yeah, that we have such an issue with loneliness. We do. We have that position now within government, but wonderful that it's recognised as something that is needed. But loneliness is talked about incredibly now. Mm. And you did an amazing speech at the Brighton Chamber, which I came to watch, and you were absolutely brilliant, and gave some horrifying stats around actually the health impact of loneliness. Yeah, so again, with the research, uh, what they've shown is uh, loneliness has an impact on our physical health as the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It can lead to premature death. Uh, it really does increase your risk of uh, mental health. So there's all these interconnecting factors. And that's why for us at Together Co, our message is around physical health and mental health absolutely are critical. And I think we're doing much better. We need to do more uh, to talk around our mental health. But we need to consider our social health because we are, you know, social beings. We cannot do things on our own. Mm. And um, something you were talking about with the chamber talk as well, I think it's important for myself to speak openly about my own experience as well. So I was very, very lonely in London, of all places, you know, Mm. biggest, one of the biggest cities in the world. And I struggled to find my tribe, to find any friendships. And I looked on the outside like I was really successful successful, doing really well, loving life, and I wasn't. And it actually led me to have a breakdown. I became agoraphobic. And nowadays, I know that loneliness caused that. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realise that at the time. So I got diagnosed with agoraphobia and I got given medication, which is fine and obviously very useful and beneficial. But I didn't realise I I needed connection. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's important. Do do you think as well, again, everything around loneliness certain stigmas attached to it like there is with mental health and and uh, and those type of subjects stuff stuff that we talk about on here a lot um is there that that there's that stigma attached to it that people don't want to talk about it and don't be as open and, and actually reach out and because is loneliness what is that what does that look like is it seen as weakness or i don't want to say to people i'm lonely is that is, is that the main problem there mm. I think you raise a really good point, and I think that is a major issue, and I'll give you an example Mm. on that. So, like I was saying earlier, we work in um, some GP practices, so the GP will refer on to Together Co. Together Co. will phone the patient and say, we're from Together Co. They say, well, what do you do then? We say, we're a loneliness charity. They say, I'm not lonely. And straight away, we're like, oh, okay, but, you know, we're just about trying to connect with you, and we don't want that to be a barrier. So that's why, for us, uh, in the, the coming years we want to talk more around social health mm-hmm. and, and kind of normalize the fact that we're social beings and we just need each other so that people don't feel there's anything wrong in feeling lonely in fact it's telling you something mm-hmm. it's absolutely right we have our physical health we have our mental health and we have our social health as well but it's interesting as well like when I like I was literally uh, in a local pub at the weekend having a roast dinner and the person, oh, the owner of the pub was like what do you do and I said oh um, I run a loneliness charity and they just straight away started talking about their experiences and their friends' experiences. And when you kind of say it, it kind of, oh, it's okay to talk about it. Mm. So it's just kind of putting the, 
you know, the narrative out there. And just normalising it, isn't it? I know I've been the same, like being divorced, not having children. People think I'm having this wonder. I am having a wonderful life. They are right. <laughs> but there are times when I have felt lonely, but I've been really resistant to say that I feel lonely. And instead, I always say I feel very alone. Mm. So, you know, it's me, myself and I that have got to pay my bills. You know, I am on my own. But I've been really resistant to saying, actually, I'm a bit lonely today. Because it has, it's like a stigma almost, isn't it? And trying to like break that stigma and, and reaching out to people. Like we are pack animals. We're not men. We're not men to do this alone. Mm. And I wonder. I wonder whether as well. I'd be interested to ask you, April, from from the pandemic, uh, has there been a shift? Um, I guess in the narrative, has there been a shift in more people coming forward and and talking more openly that they're lonely because. You know, that, that was a period that was a little bit, um, should we say, out of the blue, that none of us were prepared for or expected. So we're in that situation where we actually couldn't go out and eat. Because on the face of it, I guess, look, again, I, I, back to mental health and masks we wear sometimes when we're out and about. And, you know, you can be on the face of it and social media and we've got our big smiles on, everything's okay. And actually, then you go home and you're sitting there and you are on your own and you do feel a little bit lonely and not able to communicate so it'd be interesting to see the shift I guess as they've been mm-hmm. since lockdown so I think there's a negative impact and a positive impact so I think the positive impact is that people um, are understanding isolation a lot more so it's terrible what happened but actually we all suddenly felt it and and there was individuals that have been feeling this for, for a long time so I think there's more kind of awareness and people want to talk about it more the negative impact is that we are seeing a huge increase in referrals for agoraphobia and anxiety Um, also uh, we had a massive increase in volunteering during the pandemic because the world went quieter uh, and people had more time and now obviously the world's got busier and for me I'll just speak for my it's hard to pick back up that level of busyness so uh, a lot of organisations be interested to know for yourself as well in terms of volunteers it's it's harder now as well so I think it's got people talking more about loneliness and isolation in 2018-2019 we'd already had that movement with the um, Minister of Loneliness Mm. and you know the government starting to realise, oh, we've got something going on. Well, then we all got isolated from one another. So I think it's helped in the understanding. But those that were already chronically lonely are even more lonely. And those that had never experienced it are now experiencing it. And so we, uh, in the last year, for instance, we've just run our reports for the last year uh, in social prescribing. We, In one area, we've had 150% increase in referrals. So we're not meet, being able to meet the demands right now of um, yeah, supporting people. There's definitely that point from, since the pandemic of, you know, that sort of empathy that we feel for each other and for and for the charities that we know and love. And it was that sort of same storm, different boats, wasn't it? That was mm. the great that I loved during COVID because we weren't all in the same boat because you might be in a yacht and I'm in a dinghy with a hole in it. So it's not the same. Yeah. But we are in the same storm and it's how do we cope? And I think for both of you, I'm interested to hear from you, Donna, that when you're doing something so important for the city, that the, the pressure to provide that service and, you know, this is a business show. We want to talk about what it's like as a business running running a charity, and, and we know what does charity mean to people. Yeah, and I think I think similarly for us. I mean, mental health is a, a huge area of work that we that the charity works on. I mean, pre- predominantly people probably know us as the kind of physical health stuff. You know, we deal with the bumps and breaks and cuts and scrapes mm. that Sam mentioned earlier. But actually, the the number one reason that children present in A and E now is because of mental health. It used to be that you're more likely to go into A and E and see lots of children who are struggling with respiratory conditions, 
uh, particularly at winter time. And actually, that's not the case now. Now you go in and it's it's teenagers and more and more younger children presenting with mental health issues. And that that's been coming for the last 15 years. I've worked in youth mental health for a long time. We knew that was coming, and that's been coming for for ages. What the pandemic did was just fast track that and for a lot of children I think it really links into that loneliness stuff of of losing that connection of, of school not being how school was they didn't have the structure of school they didn't have youth clubs they got cut and spending got cut and they've never come back they don't have all of those connections and don't have those support services and we all know that youth mental health is massively underfunded and so they present at A&E because that's the only place they can go. Um, and a few weeks ago, I was up at Worthing and talking to some of the doctors and nurses that work work up there. And they were just saying that young people just turn up at A&E because it's the only place they can get care because there's nowhere else to go. And so then when we're looking at it as a charity about what can we provide, what do we need to provide... We can provide the MRI equipment. We can provide all the amazing stuff that might help, you know, when you break an arm. But actually, lots of the stuff that we need to be providing now, and this is a a move for the charity, really, is around supporting young people's mental health. And that might be activities and sessions and things that they can get together. And actually, again, really, really linked into that finding, finding your people. For a lot of young people, when you've got a condition, when you're at school, you're the kid with cancer diabetes asthma whatever it is and so we provide sessions that bring children together with the same condition so that you're no longer the kid with cancer you're just a kid and we'll take them to sea swimming or take them into the woods and they can hang out and and be with their people with with other people experiencing Mm. the same stuff and just how important for them to be able to share that experience and not be the odd one the odd one out and be able to talk frankly and openly and just this whole point around community and and Mm. connection like wherever you are on the scale of life like Mm -hmm. we all we all need that for sure yeah i think your point around how COVID has exacerbated the mental health problem around children. Mm. It's a really frightening one. And obviously as a father, this must be close to your heart as well. Yeah, kind of going yeah. forward as yours are racing towards going into high school. Yeah. And like mobile phones and social media and the impact that that's, you know, there's so much affecting kids now and how much can we protect them and and what's the funding to be able to support them? I know we've talked before about where medical funding goes is more into annoyingly conditions that we could control if we just ate better, didn't drink so much and stopped smoking. And actually that money could really help in, mm-hmm. in areas like this. Yeah, and, and some of the funding kind of priorities really for young people are around youth mental health. So I would argue it's not enough money going into youth mental health, particularly in community services. But it's also around obesity and vaping is actually something that they're really concerned about. So there's there's lots of kind of areas where where there is focus on it, but when you're in A and E, it's you know it, you're at the the coalface. It's the crisis points, and and for young people at the moment, that is their mental health. That's the thing, and and it used to be teenagers, and now it's ten, eleven, twelve year olds at A and E with serious mental health and issues. It, it, it is it is so much of that. I can't blame social media completely for, but so much of that's got to be linked with social media, potentially or not. I think a lot of it is exacerbated. It's just like the pandemic. It was mm. it was there already. I mean, yeah, yeah, again, yeah. like I said, 15 years ago, we were warning the government of this impending youth mental health crisis. Sure, sure. Uh, but things like social media exacerbate those problems. So if you've already got a propensity or you're struggling with something, then social media can be really damaging and, and push you further away in the way that the pandemic did for all young people. Yeah. 
It's so interesting. I've just watched, I feel like I'm starting every sentence of it with. I've just watched a doc- documentary <laughs> on Netflix. I've just documentary on Netflix, but um, about vaping, about Jewel, and how Jewel was very much created to help adults stop smoking, but still have the social experience of smoking, but with you know reduction of the health um, risk. And then children got hold of it and ruined it for everybody because it wasn't mm. for them. And then all of the issues that have come from vaping in terms of getting them addicted to nicotine because they didn't appreciate that there was nicotine in it. And then now they're addicts. And being an addict then reduces your ability to concentrate at school, you know, connect to people. And initially they all felt like they were cool together because they had something that connected them. And then actually it's then had all of these negative side effects. And so I was fascinated to hear that that's mm. now becoming an area that we've got to fund. There was an, an advert on the telly for uh, Nicorette have now got a spray that's specifically designed to help people get off vapes. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah. It's very deficit-based as well, isn't it? It's like, let's solve the problem and the issue. And it's like, actually, what's positive that we should be promoting more? But yeah. if it doesn't sell because obviously in terms of capitalism as well, and that was the big thing with the jewel, mm. that the marketing strategy they chose was going to attract young people. They chose young models. They chose people and all the colours. They, they knew the marketing team knew exactly what they were doing. Nice flavours. Yep. They they knew what Kid they were doing. Flavors. Yep. And, and now it's the health services, charities that are going to have to pick it back up and solve a problem again rather than we, you know we can look at ways that we can thrive as human beings so i'm wondering it's a big question but yeah. you know, we got deep so quickly yeah, everyone. Say, but you know we have to consider that like it's the selling world that we live in and we always going to be up against it as well well, this is the interesting thing for you both as char- as charities yeah. in terms of, you know, you are busy, you are businesses. And people don't always look at a charity and think about it being a business. You just think, oh, I need to give that charity money and that money goes straight into whatever cause. And how do you how do you kind of battle that challenge and, and explain actually how, how it really works behind the scenes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, and it's it's a really great question because it is something that I think most charities have to spend some time articulating why they need money and we say we need money because we've got all of these projects and we're running all these incredible programs and we're buying all this amazing equipment but we also have to run the organization and and lots of the work that we do and I'm sure you're the same April is around the campaigning element or the awareness raising or building connections we're doing a project trying to connect up lots of other children's hospital charities so that we can share data, share projects, share learning, so that it's faster and quicker to get projects up and running. You know, why bother redoing it? If Manchester have done it brilliantly, I can just take Manchester's project and get it done. And if we've got a brilliant project here in Brighton, we've got two, the Youth Worker and, and a new cancer support service that we're now sharing with other charity hospital charities all over the UK to just go for it just pick up the project and you can implement it because all of the children's hospital charities tend to do the same things we're all trying to struggle with the with the same issues so I think a lot of that stuff is the stuff that's harder to explain why we need some funding to be able to do that so you give us a pound and we can spend 70p of it on this and 20p of it this and 10p we need to spend on just making sure that the charity is still here next week so that we can do it all over again and I think that 
making sure that companies and people that support us understand that we all do need to do that the vast majority of us need to do that is so important and it's really important that they understand that and and kind of buy into that and say yeah of course you need to be here next week to be able to do it it's great that you're doing it today you need to put a bit aside so you can do it tomorrow as well and it's, i guess it's the, the the perception as well i know me and you have spoke about it quite a few times about a perception potentially of especially rocking horse we use that as an example that it's a massive team of people and because you're everywhere and you're doing lots of things and awareness and all them things is going on and actually there's what eight, eight of us eight, eight, yeah eight of you in the most team. of us are part-time yeah so. and you look at and, you, and then you go wow but you do this event and then you got this event and then obviously there's third party events who mm-hmm. get in touch with you and go oh we're going to do this for you okay great well, we've got a small team and we want to support everything but there's so much going on and i think like there's there's that that perception sometimes is because I guess maybe that I'm interested to hear from you, April, as well. Um, whether you, potentially some of the larger charities where they've got 50, 60 staff, you're sort of just lumped in with, oh, they're lumped in with that type of thing. Do you have that challenge? It's a really interesting point, I think, you're making around charities mm. because there is. It's a kind of massive umbrella. Mm. Um, so you've got lots of different kinds of charities. And I think right now I can rightfully say that all charities need support because businesses need support. We all need support with what's happened right now. So I, I'm not what, I, what I'm about to explain, I don't want to seem like there's a variation of support because everybody needs support, but it is different. So you do have charities that have different income streams. Um, have different sizes so for instance I've worked in charitable housing associations which would be charities but they're millions and millions of pounds big big organizations a large amount of their income will come from commission services from um, local authorities and from housing benefits and property ownership but that is just to say also that the commission services are not commissioning how they should be and we're not getting cost of living increases so they have their own challenges then you've got uh, other organizations and charities that would be smaller and rely on um, raising money just to keep going they don't have property they don't have um, housing benefit they they're not commissioned that you know they're not paid for by NHS and and so forth so it is all very different in the models that people need and all charities have their challenges but I think it's just kind of look into the the charities that and and kind of where do you want to make um, a difference and what kind of difference you want to make because that then I think in terms of businesses is how you then can get involved to make the biggest impact Um, so for instance some of the larger charities um, like national charities like I'll give example my parents always have given at Christmas to shelter and I think that's fantastic and that's what they want to do and um, but that's brilliant because they campaign in regards to homelessness um, but then I sort of spoke to my parents about their reasons and so forth, and they didn't understand that that doesn't uh, necessarily impact homelessness in Dorchester and Dorset, where they're from. So what they decided to do was split and go half into uh, Dorchester to a local homeless provider and then to Shelter as well, who campaigns nationally. So you've got that kind of local, it's service delivery, it's impacting uh, Sussex and Brighton and Hove, and you've got national as well. So I think it's like there is different layers. There's large campaigning, there's direct delivery services, um, 
and it's very very varied mm. and I think that's important to know in terms of charity would you say that's yeah right? I, th- Sorry, I, I think that's absolutely right well, yeah. no no I, <laughs> yeah. to, to add to what yeah. what you were saying and and with Sam's point around there being lots of different sizes of charity um and yeah Sam's absolutely right with Rocking Horse we get very often misjudged as a huge charity because mm-hmm. we are out there and, and my team are out and about as much as we possibly can in, in any given 24 hours. <laughs> and so people think tend to think we are bigger than we are. We, we raise you know around about a million quid that we go that go into children's hospitals, but there are just eight of us. And, and as April was saying, there's lots of different charity models. We rely entirely on donations. We don't have any government funding. We don't have a corporate that's propping us up in terms of covering our core costs. We are we have to stand on our own two feet and that can be really difficult sometimes in terms of how we explain where our money goes and what we spend our money on and we've got what 50 projects running at any one time that we are trying to get funding for or you know kind of continuing to raise money for if it's a long-term project health is a long-term thing so a lot of our projects run for at least two or three years we try and try and solve a problem and then move on to to it and I think actually as well what April was saying around people support the charity that means something to them or they should that's that's why you should choose a charity I think choosing a charity for any other reason than it's something you passionately believe in is is probably really pointless Mm. (laughs) Um, and that changes throughout people's lives and as different issues come in or your life changes or you have children or your parents get older the things that you care about and the things you're passionate about will change and evolve and as charities our job's really to be there to appeal to the audience or the people that want to support our work and then when they move on, to, to let people move on and go and support a different charity. And, and you know, I think that's... Uh, I, I, yeah, I think that's really... Uh, to cut a question there, but I think that's spot on. One thing I think you both do well is to articulate that to to the communities so that you do, and you, and especially in relation. So I know from, a, again, back to a personal point of view, I know that I'm going to raise money and I can see that it's going to go and... Like I say, I'm sitting in hospital at three o'clock in the morning with, with with my children, and they've broken their arm. And I'm looking and going, actually, some of the money are funded. There's, there's a sticker there that's funded that piece of equipment or that iPad that they're sitting there watching or something like that. And that then takes it to another level, doesn't it? Of why you want to give and, and when, because we can. Or like you said, obviously, the amazing things that they do with children in need and those type of things. But actually, do we necessarily? see that when you're ringing up and, and you're donating 20 quid or 50 quid or whatever you do on the phone and you don't necessarily then see where that goes where as when it does become a personal thing there's so much more there and unfortunately we sort of spoke of it didn't we just before we come on but I guess unfortunately there's going to be sick children and there's there's going to be another Sam Thomas coming along soon who's gone through something like I have who will then come and want to reach out to you and go, I want to support you. Or, for example, with you, I guess, with the loneliness side of things. So there's, there's always going to be that, which is why you exist, which is why you then need ongoing support and continue. It's a really interesting point about where you are in your journey in your life as yeah. to what charity will resonate with you. You know, two of my friends have had cancer and so cancer charity is really important to me. You know, I... I love what Rocking Horse do because I'm close to people who've used your charity and I've got to know you and you mean a lot to me. And I, you mean a lot to me, April, because we both want to help people feel less lonely in the city. And there'll be things that mean something to me later on in life, I'm sure, as, as things happen. And I suppose with that in mind, 
how sort of competitive do you feel the charity sector is or is there a real like community spirit within it? It's really interesting. April and I just smiled at each other because <laughs> we've got a knowing it's grin across the no. <laughs> I think it's such a good question. And, uh, and okay, so if we're talking about the idea of charities being businesses – in in some senses then we are in competition with other people right if you run a company that sells drinks then you're in competition with every other drinks company so therefore yes there are there's only so many pounds that can go round for to the donations and so therefore people will have to choose between charities that they support but i think that's why i hold on very tightly to this idea of people support charities and should support charities because it shouldn't be a transactional relationship they support the charities that they care about and so I can talk about what we do but I'm never going to say don't support this charity or you know support us over another charity because actually what you care about right now is what you care about and what I say might resonate with you and you think yeah absolutely I want to support sick and disabled children all over Sussex or you might care about something else you might be really interested in dogs or sports donkeys. or donkey well yeah that's donkeys another animal does very well. they do do very well and that's great for people that care about donkeys that's brilliant and and they should they should get the support that they need but so that kind of competition element i try not to to get into too much because otherwise you you're basically putting yourself up against amazing other organizations and i think april's the same worked in lots of other charities i I've worked at dozens of charities over 20 odd years and they're all brilliant and I would never say one is better than another we all just do different things we've all, all things. we've all taken a different problem that exists in the world and we're all trying to solve it and people should just find a charity that's solving a problem they care about and then go all in and support them any way they can I just love yeah. your little knowing grin over there right? <laughs> so it's really interesting so I I think I can still say I'm new. <laughs> I'm a new CEO one year. One year. One year. <laughs> um, and actually, uh, I when I started, so you have Together Co. And the lonely, like, the loneliness charity. That sounds a loneliness charity mm-hmm. in Brighton and Hove. Um, and one um, model we do is befriending. But you also have a wonderful charity called Time to Talk Befriending, who also do befriending mm-hmm. in Brighton and Hove. Now, there is slight nuances in what we do, but yeah, we both do similar things. And when I came here, um, because I'd worked in West Sussex, in London, I'd worked a bit in Brighton and Hove, but more in mental health previously, I was really surprised at not time to talk at all, but others that were kind of like almost putting us in competition with each other. And I can say this because I, the CEO of (laughs) Time to Talk would be fine for me to say this, that, you know, we've done a lot of work in the last year. Um, together because actually between both charities we can't keep up with the demand we feel we're stronger together as well so it's almost like to it's kind of looking at it as a scarcity mindset rather than an abundance mindset like I said at the start 22,000 people often or always feel lonely in the city between both our charities we maximum support 1500 a year maximum So it's we need to do more together. And we're actually doing a joint event uh, in November on the pier for Befriending Week where we're coming together. Um, and actually, when we come together, we're the largest befriending network in the UK. And Brighton and Hove that. has that. And Brighton and Hove as a city should be proud of that yeah. as well. So I, that's why I was kind of smiling about it because, yeah, I really believe in 
charities collaborating and I don't know why or how that feeling was happening you know you just sensed it when you came when I came on board it was just a bit like what is this or you know um if we're running events and another organization's running events that's another thing I should say as well coming in into my first year I really tried to take my time as to what is going on in the city because there is over 2,000 voluntary community and social enterprises in Brighton Hove it's the most outside of London so I think you need to know that your why and you need to know that you're making an impact that's great enough to take that resource from others as well and so I came in together going are we doing that are we doing something that's different that isn't taking what another charity could do because then actually we should join up merge (laughs) is the word um and I kind of was okay with that because I was like actually no we aren't talking about loneliness in specifically. Um, we do do different models to others, but therefore we must support and look at all other charities. And even uh, crossing over with, um, say, with uh, Rocking Horse and Chestnut Treehouse and so forth, so, and all the events that you guys do, I would always be keeping an eye mm. on when those are. Yeah. You know, I so wouldn't you don't clash. No, yeah, no, exactly. and, and you know, so it's, it's having that mm. work together, look out for each other mm-hmm. kind of mindset, really. Yeah, I think that's what I wanted to say. I love yeah. because it, we're, we're both very, from a business point of view. I'm all about collaboration. I really believe that over competition. And that may mean that I'm going to be a pound no behind a lot of people, but I'm actually okay with that just because I think that there's so much, and if anything, the pandemic highlighted that so much more than anything else that actually we are all in this together. Same storm thing. We're all in this together. And actually, if we can support and help each other along the way, there's enough. From a business point of view, there's enough for everyone. And unfortunately, I guess from from the charity point of view, there are people that are are struggling out there, and we need to support them. And if we can come together to help them more, then we we, we make more of an impact as a, as a stronger community. I feel. Mm-hmm. Right. I do feel like Brighton, especially. I love our Brighton bubble for a million reasons, but especially when it comes to how we kind of complement and not compete when we're in the same industries. And I see that across the business network in all industry. Because mm. yeah. you know, to your point, April, like one cafe can't serve everybody in Brighton and Hove, nor could one. Indian curry shop it's not going to work either like, there needs to be more than one choice but also you were just mentioning before we went on air about not everyone's making it no sadly not so at the moment with cost of living um, recovery from pandemic um, just like any sector the charity sector mm-hmm. is struggling and I'm part of a, uh, a group forum for um, small charity CEOs so small charities would be those under a million turnover and uh yeah weekly at the moment there's uh, sort of posts about um we're likely to close or should we close or how do we close um so yeah it, it really really is tough at the moment uh businesses that would be funding you can't give as much uh but also you know for we are businesses and back to the point of being businesses so um you know at, for instance at Togetherco we have 20 staff and those staff deserve increases and to be paid well to be able to live particularly in a place like Brighton and Hove but so you've got to you know keep them uh, employed uh, so they you know you can meet your mission and your why but you need to do that responsibly so you need to increase so they can survive but then for instance your commission services or your fundraising is not matching that so you've got the perfect storm so you've got an increased demand on your services so you, you're needed but the funding isn't matching that um, and for some, it's not good news right now. 
So in terms of how we can help for so whatever size of your business, so when for people that listen to the show, they could be one man bands or they could be big businesses or they're just individuals that like listening to us. Thanks everybody. <laughs> um, so we kind of like to know kind of with the scale, what would your what would your recommendations be of how can you support regardless of size? Yeah. So if I can just link two points that we've talked about because we talked about competition and collaboration and I think behind the scenes the charity sector is hugely collaborative I think we work with dozens of other charities to deliver and and do projects and I think that's the same for a lot of charities I think when we get pushed into being competitive can quite often be in a business context for things like charity of the year or you're up for a vote and so you get put up against other charities and you have to go and pitch and part of that pitch process is is explaining not only why you're the best but you're better than everybody else so actually that thing around everyone is struggling I mean cost of living we're seeing it certainly at the charity and and as April said lots of the other charity sector leaders are, are really experiencing in that people can give less they're not taking up challenge events quite as much because they don't want to ask people to to raise money you know they, they feel uncomfortable right now asking their friends and family for money because of the cost of living companies can give less trust and foundations are closing their doors whilst they're trying to kind of recover some of their investments and so there is less money coming into the sector and less money coming into each individual charity and having been through this a few times in recessions working in the charity sector for a while sometimes what can happen is you then get pushed into a more competitive space so companies then start having these longer pitch processes or charity of the year and voting becomes much more popular because it there's less to go around so you start to get pitched up against people so one of my requests for anybody who can who can do that is to not push charities into that space of being competitive because it doesn't it's not helpful and it's not a space that we actually like being in very few I don't think I can think of a single CEO who likes being in a competitive space we would all much rather collaborate and and support each other but if we get pushed into a space where we have to pitch for Charity of the Year or we have to go off for staff votes and we have to explain why we are better than everybody else and why we should get the money and somebody else shouldn't, that's when we get pushed into a competitive space. So my first thing is please don't push us into that space. It would be really, really helpful. You know, we're all OK with not being chosen. Yeah. Pick pick charities that you really care about and, and don't make it a transactional relationship. Make it something you really genuinely care about. Or pick a few. Yeah, or pick, <laughs> or yeah. pick more than one. Yeah, yeah this is the you, other thing. You can thing. work with many. And yeah, yeah don't, don't feel like, yeah, you you know, you have to choose. Or even if you've got a charity of the year, yeah. work with others as yeah. well. Um, support others. If your situations change and you're thinking, oh, actually, I really want to have that cause like talk to the charities we get that all the time where people are like oh you know we're going to keep working with you but we're now going to focus with this charity as well brilliant please go and support more charities you know it's that's that's a really good I love that as well because I'm you you do sort of I guess as a business owner I think it's given that I'm always going to support Rocking Horse and there's some people that will I know other charities I've spoke to who've gone oh I know you support Rocking Horse as if they don't want to ask me for that but I'm not I'm, I'm a big fan of what they do at the Star Trust. I know Rob's really become a really good friend of mine. I think they're an amazing charity, what they, they do on a, on a small scale. I'd like to, I, if I can help them as well, I want to do something for them. But like I said, my rocking horse is my personal thing that I always, and that's a given. And But there's so, like, I spoke to Justin Wright from the Wolo Foundation. Mm. I've just had Marcus Jarvis on the podcast actually telling me his story about, uh, you know, how he survived cancer and how 
massively helpful the Wolo Foundation were to, to him and his family and you go give us uh, we're, we're so lucky to have so many incredible charities here and I think that's a really good message actually to get across to say actually we can help as many whether it's that chosen one for your why I think mm-hmm. we'll have a why and why we want to support that charity but then also can actually I can support other charities as well and whether that is giving your time up as well as just funding I'm assuming yeah, time, absolutely. Was it, I think it was the last mayor. Um, I think the mayor's meant to have like one charity, and she had like eight because she was like, "I just cannot pick one." And everyone's doing such amazing work that she wanted to support everybody. So, what what would be your advice of how do we how do we get involved at whatever scale? Um, so, for us, I think, and in terms of, I'm not sure, sort of volunteering, but it's yeah, volunteering of any kind that could just be you know following us and sharing posts that could be coming in because you've got um a specialism in a certain area like marketing or you know we have a volunteer that helps us write our trusts and grants um volunteering just because you want to see and experience what we do as well some people are like we're quite interested in together co but what what do you do it's like come and come and see it come to one of our events come and meet the people as well so anything like that um and don't ever feel like you can't go and ask a charity. Actually, I can't, you know, I can't give money. I can't give loads. But I, I'm really interested because of the cause and because of what you do. I like to give this. And I feel like charities are just so welcoming of that and so grateful for anything like that. It really, really makes a difference. It's about relationships mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So that is hugely beneficial. And I mean, it's just like with our relationship and through Connected Brighton and having similar whys and how that's helped in terms of, you know, getting to know new people seeing people we may be missing that are struggling with loneliness as well. So, yeah, just reach out. If you've got a charity in mind or you've got a cause in mind, reach out and and just offer what you can. But also the power, I want to say as well, is of um, giving back because actually it's so powerful and really helps in terms of all sorts of things, physical health, mental health, social health, uh, volunteering, doing something and the, the kindness will make you feel good as well and it will make your staff so we talk about businesses um, so we do sort of corporate events where people come and do uh, corporate days uh, and support and you leave buzzing as well so it's really good for well-being of your staff to get sort of doing different things as an organisation as well within business I love that I think and someone that obviously again sits on he's just come on the board with us at, as a trustee is a really good friend of mine Gavin Willis and I think from a giving back and a corporate social responsibility side of things he really leads away he talks about it at, um, at the business show recently um, he's at the time of recording this I'm just getting the dates by the time of recording this is a couple of days before his ball um, I'm ball. going to the ball he's going to the ball I'm, which I'm, the I'm ball. hosting me too oh yeah we're all going to be at the ball I love this yes ball crew we'll go to the ball and this will come up but he, like, I think it's a perfect example of actually how much as business owners we can do yeah. and 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 actually the scope of 47 charities he's helped over the last 12 years which is incredible and mm. an uh, amazing individual but as, as a company as well I think that's the that's the thing there's so much that you can do to give back 
whatever that looks like. Yeah, and I just thought that was amazing as well when I came back to Brighton and, and I saw Search 7 had committed that 1% mm-hmm. and say, I'm, we're going to do this and making that commitment as well. And 7, 7%. 7%. Oh my yeah, gosh, I'm 7%. so sorry. I thought it was 1%. No, yeah. <gasps> Search 7%. 7%. I mean, <laughs> sorry, Gavin. <laughs> 7%. 7%. But yeah, no, and it was just really amazing to see that kind of commitment mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. I think, yeah, I think I would echo um, April's advice, really, in terms of reaching out to charities. I mean, we, as charity, as CEOs of charity, we spend a lot of time reaching out to CEOs of companies being like, hey, hi, I'm Donna, rocking horse, fancy a coffee? And But actually, you can do that the other way around. Reach out to charities that are really doing stuff that you really care about and have that that discussion. I mean, we are small organisations, like we said, with, you know, very small local charities. And actually a personal conversation about well, what, what can you give? What do you, want to, what do you want to get from it? Is it a volunteering opportunity? Do you want to do some staff engagement and fundraising? Do you want to be part of a kind of company programme? Do you want to buy a bit of kit and, you know, as Sam says, have a sticker on it and you can go and look at it and you can go and see, meet the children that have benefited, benefited from it. Sorry. Um, I think having that personal conversation with smaller local charities and being really open about, I can do this, I can't do this, I've got this resource, I haven't got this. And people like Gavin are really good examples of, they do so much different stuff. It's it's about the money, but it's also about activities and fundraising and staff engagement and volunteering. And there's so many different options that as as charity CEOs, we stick them all on our website and that like, here's all the, the five million ways that you can get involved. But actually the best possible thing you can do is come and have a coffee with us and just say, this is what my company does. This is what I'd really like to achieve. I really care about your charity because of X. And then we'll figure out something that yeah. really works for both of you. And that's what I mean by moving away from that kind of transactional relationship. Tra- yeah. I yeah. love that point about transactional versus personal and that it doesn't always have to be monetarily because that was my panic about being a business Mm. and I wanted to support charity and I was like but I'm not making any money how am I gonna how can I do this and then realizing actually just giving another platform and another Mm. voice can help it's just something something is better than nothing I think 100% if a lot of the charities I speak to so much of it is actually just awareness sometimes there's charities I've spoke to I've never heard of them and I'll go like the one thing I'll fortunate enough to be in a position I've got is a publication and a radio show and other bits that you can go actually I can give you exposure and let's do that if I can't I can't donate money I haven't got loads of money but you know what come and write a double page spread in the magazine and we'll promote you and share it with a community that actually might then read that and go they'll come and support you and give you money so there might be another thing. that's what I've done since 2017 was the first SBT I took over we've done the charity issue for Rocking Horse the 50 year thing but every year since we've done a December issue which is our charity issue so I and everyone so I'm shouting out now if you're a charity give me a shout exposure in the in the magazine and talking about exposure hello (laughs) (laughs) you know I was just gonna say no uh, not for Together Co, but loneliness at Christmas. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's always a really tough time for people. So it doesn't have to be about Together Co, just about sort of connection at Christmas. Um, and to be thinking about that for your staff, if you're a business as well. Like, um, you know, there's an assumption in this country, Christmas is great and it's sparkly and people will go off and take time off. But for a lot of people, it's going to be difficult. And it's going to be really difficult financially for some as well. So, yeah, anything like like rate, like awareness and advice on what businesses could be doing to speak, to think about their staff would be great. 
Well, watch out for you at the double page spread in SBT. Because <laughs> 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 no, November is charity month, which is why we've got you here celebrating mm. charity. So we run we run out of time, but do just tell us where can we find you? So we are online at rockinghorse.org.uk with the new rebranded website. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just one quick thing I want to say because I've learned a lot today about rocking horse and it's great, isn't it? Just to have these conversations like, wow, you raise a million pounds a year with no government funding. I just think that's incredible, like it, exceptional. So I just wanted to add that. I think it's amazing, and we're the same. It's togetherco.org.uk. It'll be brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> we've <laughs> got very look us up. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. This has been absolutely brilliant and eye-opening, and something is better than nothing. Everyone, so get involved. Yeah, please so, do. Thank you both. And that, as they say, is a wrap. Thank you. Beth Miller. Sorry. Wrap. Easy. Sam. Awesome. What a, great, what a great show that was. That was an amazing show. What's your key takeaways? Um, for me, I just think that actually with the, with the charities recognising that... Um, Just getting the time on, Martin. Lindsay. Sam. That was another awesome show. I really, really enjoyed that show. Yeah, What's was, your takeaways? Um, for me, I think it's just about choosing a charity based on your why, really, and what how you're going to be able to support them, and what the reason, the main reason that you're supporting them. But actually, don't don't have to just choose one charity. You can spread that around. I love Rockin' Horse and do loads for them, but I love. There's so many other charities that would be great to support, so I think that's a, that's a key thing for me, definitely. Yourself? So mine would be that you can do anything. I've always thought, I always thought that actually I had to give money and I didn't have money to give. But I think both Donna and April made it really clear that something is better than nothing. And so even if you give them exposure on your platforms or you volunteer for a day or you sort out a team building day if you're a business there is something that you can do and something is better than nothing. And the best way to work out what that something is is to get in touch with the charities themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And as I mentioned on there, SBT doing that charity issue in December. So if you are listening, you are a charity, reach out because we will support you and give you some exposure. And there's no better time, everyone, because it is charity month. So please do get involved and support some of our amazing local charities. Amazing. And I'd like to leave with um, a quote from Donna, which was... um, what makes her happy is that there is a big job to be done and she has a small part to play and will play her part until that big job is done. I love that. love that too. We can all play a small part. We can all play a small part. And that, as they say, is a wrap. <laughs>